You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. My name is Justin, the pastor here. It's good to, to be with you as we gather here today to worship Jesus together. And of course, we'll have... Um, child dedications at the end of service today. So I know many of you here to uh, experience that. So welcome. We're glad you're here. So have you guys heard about the um, Asbury revival that's been going on for the last few weeks? Anybody heard of that, following that at all? Yeah, so over 400 hours of continuous praise and worship of Jesus just kind of spontaneously broke out uh, almost uh, three weeks ago now. And they've since kind of regulated a little bit, I think starting last Friday, uh, but it's been a really uh, cool thing to watch. And I had the opportunity to sit on a Zoom call with a gal uh, that's a friend of mine at another church that went up just to experience what was going on there. But I just thought it was really neat how, I, mean, I don't know what your thoughts about revival are, um, just like crazy things happening or whatever. But she just described it as this tenderness, this somberness, but it was just all about Jesus. And it was so cool just to hear her talk about it. And it just made it feel like, I think, more attainable. And so she told stories about, you know, they would sing all these songs, but songs that would exalt the name of Jesus. She just said chains would break off and there was healings happening and people were called to reconciliation and they would leave the, leave the chapel and make a phone call and, and ask for forgiveness. And people on the other line would just give their life to Jesus and, and extend radical forgiveness. I mean, it was just kind of crazy the things going on there. And it was just so cool to, to get to talk to someone who had been up there and got to experience it. And so Something powerful happens when the Spirit of God just falls in a special way. And when a revival comes, I mean, Jesus is always exalted. There's confession, there's repentance, uh, people coming to faith. It's really this beautiful thing. And um, it's not unlike what we talked about last week when we looked at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit finally came and uh, miraculous work broke out, people speaking in different languages, declaring the mighty works of God. And then Peter gets up and starts to uh, to preach the first spirit-empowered, gospel-centered message. And at the end of that message, 3,000 people come to faith. And so in many ways, it was the very first revival, the birth of the church. And so um, just like at Asbury, Jesus is exalted. People were convicted, confessed, and converted to Jesus, and then commissioned to be sent out. And so today, we're continuing our Live Expectantly series as we're looking at the story of the church in the New Testament, we're asking what was for then and what was for now. And really what we're trying to do here is lay a foundation for the future of One Hope Church, to lay down some tracks and say, what does it mean for us to be the church? What can we learn from the New Testament? And so just to recap where we've been, the first week we looked at the story of the church and that the New Testament tells the story of the church in three parts. It begins in the Gospels with Jesus, it's continuing the book of Acts, and then it is uh, culminated in the book of Revelation. And we have these letters and epistles to help clarify and instruct the church. And then last week we saw that Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit was poured out, the kingdom of God was open to all peoples, a new era had dawned, the age of the Spirit, the age of the church. And then today we come to to the gospel message itself that Peter preached. And so we're going to look at the gospel according to Peter and see what he has to say. And it is thoroughly about Jesus. And then we're going to ask, is this the gospel that we preach with our words? Yes, but also with our lives. Do we preach this gospel and how we live? And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. 
I encourage you to go there in your Bibles or on your app and follow along with us. Let me pray for our time, and we'll look at this sermon. So, Father, we thank you again for these words, for this sermon that Peter preached to exalt the name of Jesus. And I pray today as we look at this, we look at the the purity of the gospel, that we would be stirred again and moved to worship you, Jesus. And you would move uh, us to confession and repentance and to walk out of here just different than when we came in. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and do your work, your job, and uh, we pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your Spirit. Amen. Well, let's look at Peter's sermon. And remember, again, he's answering what happened at Pentecost. This is why he's saying everything he's about to say. And uh, here's what we'll see in Peter's sermon. There's really six things that he's going to say. It's about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit, and finally, Peter's conclusion. And so we can say this. Peter's gospel is uh, about Jesus. Jesus is the gospel for Peter. And so let's look at this sermon, starting in chapter 2, verse 14. So we'll cover a little bit what we talked about last week. Uh, But Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now he's quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, written some thousand years uh, before then. And he says this, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And then verse 21 here, this is important. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so this is what Peter's going to launch off of. He's going to say the name of the Lord that you just heard by which everyone's going to be saved. I'm going to tell you what that name is. And that name is Jesus Christ. And so let's look at what he says next. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so right here, Peter is basically covering Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So he starts with his life. He says, you knew this man, Jesus, who came from Nazareth, a man that was born in time and space. And you've heard of his ministry and the mighty works that God was doing through him. And this was proof that he was, in fact, sent by God and that he was, in fact, God in the flesh. This Jesus came. But as you read the Gospels, as he's bringing the kingdom of God, he's marching towards Jerusalem. All the Gospels end in Jerusalem and end at the cross. This is where his life was going. And so Jesus' death, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, crucified by the hands of lawless men. And so here we see this tension of God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge, knowing what was going to take place, and yet the free choice of the religious leaders and the Romans to crucify Jesus. And so we see this tension, this mystery of how God's sovereignty and our uh, free choices work together. 
And of course we know, why did Jesus have to die? Well, at the end of the sermon, he says, is for the forgiveness of sins. But as we look to the rest of the New Testament and the epistles in particular, it's very clear that Jesus died an atoning death for our sin. He died in our place. But then Peter goes on and says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. God raised him because it wasn't possible for God in the flesh, for death to hold him. And so he breaks out of the grave and breaks out of death into resurrection life. And so Peter has basically said, this is Jesus. This is his life, his death, and his resurrection. And then he does something that's really um, fascinating. His point, he's going to move and he's going to prove his point by quoting Psalm 16. Okay, now Psalm 16 was written by David, again, probably a thousand years before. And so it's really interesting what Peter does here. And before we look at that, I don't know if you remember, I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, Jesus rose from the dead and then he's having a Bible study with his disciples, right? And he says he opens their mind to understand the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, um, and the book of Moses. He says in Luke 24, verses 44, I said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the whole Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And so this is exactly what Peter's doing. Okay, he quotes Joel, a prophet. He's about to quote Psalm 16. He's going to refer to Psalm 110 and allude to Psalm 132. And in some ways, I wonder if Peter, as he's preaching this sermon, is just passing on what Jesus taught him about the Old Testament. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus is having this Bible study. He's looking through the Psalms and the prophets. He's saying, here I am. This was talking about me. This is where it says that I was going to be uh, uh, crucified. Um, this, is, this is talking about me too. And so maybe what Peter is doing is what he just learned from Jesus. This is Jesus's Bible study and Peter's passing along this teaching of Jesus. Here's where you see Jesus in the Old Testament. So with that in mind, let's look at Psalm 16 here. So this is recorded in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 to 31. Here's his justification for the resurrection. For David says concerning him, and now he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. That's the end of Psalm 16. And now here, Peter, here's Peter's point. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. He probably could have pointed to it and said, there's where he's buried. He's right over there. That's the tomb of David. And then he says this, being therefore a prophet, okay? I don't know if you ever heard David called a prophet. We know him as a king. But he's speaking by the Holy Spirit here. He's a prophet here. And knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Okay, that's alluding to Psalm 132. And here's his point, verse 31. He, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that of this we are all witnesses. So think about what Peter's saying here. He's seeing David in his devotional life. And whatever that was, as he's writing Psalm 16, he sees a resurrected Messiah. Okay, think about that. This is a thousand years before Jesus comes. 
I don't know if Peter had some kind of vision that he knew that this was the Messiah. I don't know if he saw Jesus. I don't know what it looked like to see the second person of the Trinity. But he knew and he saw a resurrected Messiah. And so Peter's saying that this is how God, this is foreknowledge of God. He spoke through David, through the Holy Spirit, pointing to this fact that Jesus, that the Messiah would be raised from the dead, that we'd have a resurrect, resurrected Christ or Messiah. And if you don't know, Christ is the Greek word um, for anointed, uh, also meaning Messiah. So it's the, same, it's the same word there. But then he goes on. It's not just the resurrection. Peter says he also saw the ascension. So look at Acts 2, 32 to 33. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of this, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he says Jesus not only was resurrected, he was exalted, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and then the, uh, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit's being poured out. So there's his answer to Pentecost. Here's what's happened. Here's why the Spirit was poured out, this promise of the Father, because of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension as the Messiah. And, he's, and if you remember John 16, 7, Jesus says, it's better that I go, that I return to the Father, so that I can send the Holy Spirit. If I don't go, I can't send him to you. So we see it's all coming together now. Jesus was ascended, and now uh, Peter quotes Psalm 110. Uh, verse 34 of chapter 2. For David, okay, David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, this is probably the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And everyone would have known that this was a messianic psalm, that this was referring to the Messiah. Everybody knew that. And so Peter, again, is pulling from the Old Testament. And again, I don't know if David saw a vision of this or how this worked out, but he saw the Messiah at the right hand of the Father, the same Messiah that he saw resurrected. And so it's really fascinating to think about how David, a thousand years before Jesus came, would have known this and how Peter is pulling this all together now. So here's Peter's conclusion, that not only did Jesus live a life of kingdom power, greater miracles than the prophets of old. Not only did Jesus die the atoning death for sin as the Lamb of God, not only did Jesus resurrect from death as foretold, but in fact he ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. In verse 36, here's his grand conclusion. Let the entire house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, or Lord and Savior, this Jesus whom you have crucified. And so here's his point. The second person of the Trinity, God became a man, and he lived a life, and he died a death, and he resurrected, and he ascended, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and God made him, through his earthly life, made him both Lord and Savior, Messiah, the Christ. This is his point. And now he's referring back then to verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is his point about Jesus. Through the resurrection and ascension proves that Jesus is Lord, the fulfiller of Psalm 110, and Christ the fulfiller of Psalm 16. It means that Jesus is the long-awaited hope of Israel. He is God come in the flesh, the Savior of our souls, the fulfiller of our desires, the forgiver of our sins, the lover of our souls, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the name that is above every name, every authority, every ruler, every power, every principality. He is the Christ. His name means God saves. He is the exalted one, the slain one, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Alpha and the Omega, your Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. 
This was the promise of Israel. And then he closes his sermon with this, and you crucified him. You crucified the author of life. You crucified all that was good and holy and righteous and sinless. You men crucified him through the hands of lawless men. So how do you respond to that? How did they respond to that? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they were cut to heart. So this is the first work of the Holy Spirit, conviction. I think the Holy Spirit's working on them, convicting them. They understood that they played a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. And the truth is, every one of us played a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. The only thing that we brought to the cross was our sin that made the atoning death necessary. And so all of us have played this part. And so when we come to saving faith, it begins with conviction that the Holy Spirit begins to work on our hearts and reveal our sin to us, reveal that we've run away from God, we've gone our own way, we've sought after our own, uh, our own uh, exaltation. And the second thing then is confession. So they says, well, what should we do? What do we do, Peter? If this is true, if my sin has caused us, what should we do? And the next thing here then is conversion. He says, repent and be baptized. So repentance then is the first step. And repentance means to turn away from sin and to turn towards God. And uh, Paul in Acts 26 gives a, a, a good description of what repentance looks like, beginning in verse 18. It says, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, and that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so the first act of repentance is the confession that we have sinned, that we've made a mess of our lives and perhaps the mess of someone else's life, and to come to Jesus and to come for forgiveness of sins, which is the second step here, forgiveness. And you and I, we receive forgiveness of sins by the atoning death of Jesus. And forgiveness is our greatest need. It's the very center of the gospel. It's the reason that Jesus died. And so when we are convicted, which is a good thing to be convicted of sin, and we confess that, 1 John 1.9 says that God is faithful to cleanse us and forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so some of us today, we may need to experience forgiveness in our life, maybe for the first time. And some of us, we may need to confess and come to God and experience forgiveness again because we're all prone to wonder, whatever that is for you. You say, well, what does forgiveness feel like? See, there's an experience that we have forgiveness. It's not just something we know about or learn about. It's an experience that we have. It's a refreshing that we have. It's like taking a shower or it's like uh, waking up from a good night's sleep. There's a refreshing there. It's like taking off a lead vest. There's just a freedom there that you have. So I don't know if you've ever really, if you ever experienced that forgiveness, that grace of God. I remember for me, when I first experienced it, I was living in Seattle and I was just driving down the highway um, uh, to, to my house, I think from church. And I was just driving, thinking about uh, my life. And I had a lot of sin in my life, um, going through college and a lot of shame in my life. And I was just talking to God And I don't know what happened. Something just hit me. Something just dawned upon me that 
God had actually forgiven me of all those things and actually had cleansed me from all those things. And I just started weeping as I'm driving down the road. I just start, tears just start going down and I'm snotting all over the place. And I just had to pull over and just have this moment with God and just let that sink in and let that washing of the blood of Christ just flow over me to free me and cleanse me from all the shame and all the sin that I had just done in my own life. And I felt like a new person. Have you ever had that experience? I hope so. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It changes you. It's experiencing the love of God tangibly in your life. And when we experience that, when we come to Jesus, then we're now reconciled into the family of God. We're brought into the family of God. That's what separated us. Sin has been removed, and we can now have this relationship with God again through communion and union with Him. And so we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We spend a lot of time in John 13 to 17 talking about what does that mean to, to walk with the Spirit, to experience God's, experience God's presence in your life. And so this is a wonderful gift. Have you experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life? God's presence. But here's the thing. That's not the end. Conversion to Christ is never the end in the Bible. So you're not just, call, you're not just converted, but you're called and you're commissioned. Let's look at uh, verse 39. It says, for the promises for you and your children and all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. And so what happens there? He says, the promise is not just for you. See, it's never just for us. It's for, it's for your children. Yes, it's for those who are far off. It's for those who are near. You see, once we're saved, we're then commissioned to take that gospel, that experience, that truth with us back to our homelands. And here we read that 3,000 people came to faith right then, the very first revival, right? The Holy Spirit falls. The gospel's preached. Jesus is exalted. And people come to saving faith. Now think about this. Uh, Last week we talked about 15 different nations that were in Jerusalem for Pentecost. 3,000 people come to faith. How many of those people do you think stayed in Jerusalem? Maybe not very many. Imagine 3,000 converts to, to Jesus now sent out to their homelands in the first global missionary movement. Isn't that amazing to think about? They're saved and they're commissioned and they're sent out. They're given this Holy Spirit. For what purpose? The same reason the apostles have it. You get the Holy Spirit, then you have power to witness to Jesus. And so they're sent out to witness to Jesus, to the ends of the earth. And so revival breaks out and the missionary movement breaks out. And one example of this is the church in Rome. So I don't know this. In the book of Romans, Paul's writing to Rome about 57 AD. And he's very clear in the opening uh, paragraphs that he's never been to Rome. He says, I've, I've tried to make it to you a number of times, but been prevented. And so the question is, well, who planted the church in Rome? Where did that church come from? And I wonder if it didn't come from this initial group of people that heard the gospel preached by sermon, uh, by, by Peter, and were converted, and they took that gospel message with the Holy Spirit back to their homeland and planted a church in Rome. So decades later, Paul could come and be mutually encouraged by them. And so here's the pattern we see this witnessing in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter has done. He's witnessed in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, the Holy Spirit comes in power. This work of God is performed. This dispersed languages of the Spirit, so everyone can hear the gospel. And then it's preached in the power of the Spirit. People respond in faith and repentance by the same power of the Spirit. And those who are saved are now sent out to proclaim the very same gospel by the very same power. And here's the truth. This is still true for you and I. The same gospel that Peter preached, this gospel of Jesus that saved us, we're still called to proclaim to the nations by the same power. Acts 1.8, the power of the Holy Spirit to witness with our lives and witness with our words. What if we lived expectantly that God was going to show up in power when we shared the gospel? That God was actually going to move in the same way that he did in the book of Acts. It's really interesting when you read the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, almost every time the Gospel is preached, there's a miraculous work that's happening. Either someone's healed and then it's revealed that Jesus healed them, or the Gospels are preached followed by someone, a demon being cast out of someone or some miraculous work happened. It's really an interesting pattern. It's almost always there. And as I shared last week, we see the same thing happening in our own day. So I just wonder if we lived expectantly that God was going to move that we lived in faith and not fear about what might happen if we witnessed about Jesus to our friends and coworkers and families. There's a story uh, Matt Chandler tells. If you know Matt Chandler, he's the pastor of the Village Church in uh, Dallas, Texas, and he tells about a trip he took to China, and he was there to preach the gospel, and so he's prepared, and he has all these questions to uh, have apologetics against Hinduism and all this stuff, and so he gets up and he preaches, and he's answering questions, and then one of the local indigenous leaders kind of comes in and just kind of butts into the line, and he says, hey, I think to this guy he's talking to, I think your mother's going to be okay, and this guy just broke down, and so he goes aside with this other pastor, and, he, and he's saved by Jesus. And then this guy comes back, and he does it to another person. So he's giving like these words of knowledge to these people, and they're being saved. And Matt Chandler's just like, what is happening here? And so it's this power of the gospel that we'd expect God to move in these ways, in the same ways that we see in the New Testament. And so here is my question for us. If you're here, have you come to Christ yet? Have you experienced the forgiveness for your sins? And maybe you don't believe in sin, or maybe you don't think you're all that bad. I'll tell you, there is freedom to be had when we humble ourselves and we come to Jesus and we say, I have run away from you. I have not acknowledged you. I have not loved you. Would you forgive me? And God will show up. And so if that's you today, and you don't know yet, if you don't know Jesus yet, I would implore you to do so today, to say yes to to Jesus and to step into this. And for the first time, experience transformation, experience the power and the presence of God, experience the cleansing of your sin and the refreshment and the renewal of your soul. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond uh, in a moment. My second question then, if you're here and you're following Jesus, is your life a witness to Jesus? Is it a witness to the gospel in your words and in your works and how you live and maybe even in wonders? You see, we've been saved from the horrors of hell and the punishment of sin. We've not just been saved from something. We've been saved to something. We've been saved to a relationship with God, a vibrant relationship, a life of expectancy. And this is how we can witness to Jesus, having a reason for the hope that we have and how we suffer loss and tragedy as those not without hope 
and how we sacrifice for one another and how we lay down our lives and serve one another and how we love for the sake of the other. See, all this is a testimony to God's work in our life. It's how we preach the gospel with our lives, that Jesus is real to us, that we've experienced his love. And so we want to preach the gospel, not just with our words, with our lives, but never less than our words. And so you, if you believed in Jesus, have been saved and you've been commissioned and sent as well to respond and to share God's love with whoever is in your circles. And so I want to call you to respond now. We can invite the worship team back up here. And so we're going to just sing uh, one song here, and then we're going to move into child dedications at the end. But we'll have just a couple people up here um, over to the right. And if you're here, and, and again, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, and you're feeling that tug, you're feeling something inside of you that's just curious about that, and you want to know more, uh, I'd invite you just to come up here and be prayed for. Or if you're here and um, you've just wandered from Jesus, and you're not feeling, uh, you're not feeling a whole lot of his power or presence in your life, and you just want to recommit to him, and you need prayer, I'd invite you to, to come up here as well. And then I just say, if you need prayer for anything at all, I'm willing to bet someone here needs prayer for something. I would encourage you to come up and receive prayer as we uh, continue to worship here. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for uh, the gospel that Peter preached, the gospel that Peter experienced, and the power of your presence. And Holy Spirit, I ask you just to fall upon us now and convict our hearts and bring Grant us repentance in our hearts and grant us new life, Lord. And so I pray that you would move now as we come to worship, as we intercede for others. Lord, we give you this time and we pray this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.